crib sheet there down there. Give me instructions. Now. I'm very impressed with the crib sheet for people who are leading the meeting here. I never realized it was there. What a powerful name. Isn't it? Wow. Chris, so much. Thank you for that worship leading. Just lifted us into a, a real understanding and a, an experience in our worship. What a powerful name we serve. What a powerful name it is. Hallelujah. But it needs to get from our lips into our hearts and into the way we walk and the way we live. Hallelujah. Uh, I just think I ought to tell you we're on a, a, a seven-week trip. Okay, that is the longest we've been away, visiting three countries, Nepal, India, and what is for us with Tarzan, and you can pray for Tarzan later on, we're going to be at a Bible convention in Pakistan, a place called Sealcott, okay, where we've been invited to speak from the main platform and also to do seminars in the evening on empowering people to lift themselves out of poverty, 5,000 plus stuff, okay? But what a powerful name we serve, the name of Jesus. You know, we have power to still the storms. And I was thinking about that as we were singing the song, that we have power to still the storms. I'll get into the stuff I was going to preach on in a minute. And, you know, sometimes those storms, we wonder why we're not escaping the situation. But so often the storms are up here, aren't they? In our minds. They're in our emotions. And we have power in the name of Jesus to speak to the storms in our minds and the storms in our emotions. And we can, in the name of Jesus, speak peace into those things. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get out of the situations, but we are going to be transformed within the situation with the peace of God in our hearts and in our thinking, in our thought life. So I just want to take a moment, and if you want to join me and speak to the storms that are in your heart and in your mind, or someone else you know, then in the name of Jesus, we'll agree together and we'll speak God's peace, the peace that passes all understanding that Jesus gives into those hearts and into those minds. Should we do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. And you tell us whatsoever we ask in your name, that you will do it, Jesus. The Father in heaven will do it. And so we speak to the storms in our minds this morning. Lord, we speak to the storms in our emotions this morning. Whatever situation we're in, we speak to those storms within, that disquiet, that within us. We speak to it in the name of Jesus. And we say, be still. Be still in Jesus' name. And in the name of Jesus, we release the presence and the peace of Jesus into our minds and into our hearts. And we receive that peace right now. We receive that peace. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're in agreement, you just say, Amen. 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 Thank you. Hallelujah. We're going to continue the next in our series on prayer. Um, 
And I've been particularly asked to speak on pray like the early church. Now I wasn't there. Okay, believe it or not, I'm not old enough to have been there. But we have a great account of the early church in Acts. And I think all the speakers have found this a very challenging series uh, to teach on. As they've reflected particularly on their own prayer lives. I certainly have found it a bit tough. But it's been challenging me to know that there are higher places to go with God. And I know that for me that I found it quite a rewarding experience, a very rewarding experience, having to prepare for for this, this session. It has definitely taken me to another level of understanding, another level in my prayer life with God through relationship with him. And I'm hoping, and all the teachers up here are hoping that it's helped you too, because that's what it's about. It's about us all being encouraged to deepen our prayer relationship with the Father. Has it helped anyone? Can you show me a hand? Teachers, look around. There are a few hands up. Not, Not everyone, okay? But I hope that... Get a chance to go back. Go and read about the prayer life of Jesus. Just take a week and read through the, uh, through the, the Gospels and read about the prayer life of Jesus. And you will be so encouraged, challenged, yes, but encouraged to deepen your prayer life with this powerful God that we serve. Uh, we're going to focus this morning on the time of prayer in Acts chapter 4. It's up there. It might be a bit small print because I had a job to get it all on one page. Okay, so I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place they were, where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. As I was sitting there this morning as we were worshipping, I could feel the floor going up and down. Wouldn't it be great if that was the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you're insured for that. Cap, in this building, you're insured for the movement of the Holy Spirit, just shaking the building about a bit, a lot. Hallelujah. Let's look at the setting of this prayer. 
It's in Acts 3 that Peter and John were on their way to join in the prayers in the temple, as was their daily habit. They did it every day. Okay. On this particular day, they encountered the beggar lame from birth who was sitting in the entrance to the temple, the gate, beautiful. He asked them for money and, he, and they healed him in Jesus' name. A thought in passing. Okay, Jesus walked past that beggar when he was on the earth, but he didn't heal him. Whether the beggar got to him, probably not. But Jesus didn't. It was saved for another time, okay, with Peter and John. Then the same Peter who denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion, now transformed and enabled by his baptism with the Holy Spirit, spoke boldly to the crowds who gathered because of this healing. And in that crowd would be many of the people who cried out for Jesus to be crucified. And... They were arrested. That was the fallout. The, the religious authorities, the same religious authorities that arrested Jesus, arrested Peter and John. And they were jailed overnight. They didn't just wander home, tut tut. They were jailed overnight. And the following day, standing in front of those same authorities that crucified Jesus, Peter and John did not back down. Not one little bit, but they said this in Acts 4, 19 through 20. Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or him? They'd said, shut up, don't preach in this name of Jesus. We're not letting you do it. And they said, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What a passion was in Peter and John and the rest of the believers. A passion for Jesus. An overwhelming desire to speak the good news of of the Jesus who saves and redeems and cleanses and does all these great things. And they proclaimed it and they were not going to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. No matter how adverse the circumstances they were in, they were going to tell about this love of God. Let's look at the prayer. I'm going to quickly just take it apart a little bit as, as God spoke to me. And it won't be complete by any means because we haven't got the time. But the first thing that I, I want is when, when James and, and uh, Peter and John came back and said what the threats were and what was going on to, to the believers, it, it says that they immediately, they prayed And it says, with one heart, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, oh, Lord. And and what struck me about it was it was a spontaneous reaction to the situation. They prayed. I don't know what your spontaneous reaction to difficult places and things that happen in your life when stuff goes bad on you, as it does. Life is not fair. Okay, it isn't fair. Stuff happens to all of us. But what's your first reaction? Oh, I better ring up the doctors. I better, I better phone, what was it, 999 or is it 111 or whatever it is that we're supposed to phone. I get totally confused with it now. Watch too many television. No, I don't actually. But what is the spontaneous reaction? Take it to the Father in prayer. And I love that reaction, that they prayed about it. What a challenge to us. 
It was a corporate thing that they were doing. They were praying together. Okay. We see that the, that the habit that the church was developing is that they were meeting and praying together regularly. Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Wouldn't it have been awful if it was the day you decided that you had a different priority and didn't come to the prayer meeting? Okay? And everybody got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire on their heads. They spoke in different languages. Uh, 3,000 got saved, and you missed it. Wow. Ever thought about that? Okay. Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be great if our prayer meetings were the sort of places where people said, oh, I'm really sorry I missed it. I'll be there next time because great things are happening. But that's what God's doing. Amen. 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was a togetherness about them praying. It wasn't just a personal thing. It was a corporate thing. They're part of God's family. They were praying in unity. It says, the King James Version says, with one accord, which means with one mind, they lifted their voices to God. If you want to know what it's like to pray in unity, that worship this morning was a great, great time where we were with one accord, just touched by the Holy Spirit as we worship and we began to move together in worship and there's power release. And I know that God was talking to people here this morning. Some of you thought we ought to, I ought to come up and lead in something, okay? Because there was this oneness going on as the Holy Spirit began to flow. And with the believers, there was this oneness in unity. They lifted their voices to God, okay? I know that some folks find it really tough to pray out loud. Just going back to my early days as a new believer down in Brighton, um, Parkle, Evangelical Free, the pews, everything was, you know, it was quite, but he said, and he opened the service, I remember Derek Faulkner ministry said, if you want to pray out loud, just praising and worshipping God, then you do it. And you know, I got so hot inside. I know a lot of you can witness that. And I thought, I really want to thank my God. But you know, fear got the better of me. And I didn't. And I felt so guilty afterwards. Okay. And then the next day, he blow me down if he didn't do it again. And I, I just, this heat inside of me, wanted to pray. But I was, you know, I was a new Christian. I didn't have the words. I didn't have, you know, I couldn't pray like so-and-so could pray. Yeah, so I didn't, and I felt guilty again, and I, I was really down. I, finally, I broke my duck, okay? I broke my duck, and I, I, I just prayed out something. I was real scared. I was real shaky, okay? And I, I, I broke that prison that I'd made for myself, and I spoke out loud in prayer. Now, I know that some of you battle with this, and you know, and you need to break your duck on praying. Because God made everyone and he likes to hear us pray. And actually, it could be that your prayer, uttered however simply with your words, 
expressing your heart could be the one that releases the power of the Holy Spirit. It could be. And the whole of the prayer meeting, the church, the city of Bradford is waiting for your little prayer. Okay? Don't don't overlook yourself. God likes to hear you pray. So if that's a problem with you, okay, ask God to get you over it and into a place of freedom. Yeah, you're free to be quiet, by the way. But if you're in the prison, if you can't pray out loud, then you need to break through in the name of Jesus. Just encourage you in that area. Praying in unity. When Lyndon last week, I do listen, Lyndon. I don't know where he is. He's over there. I haven't got my glasses on. Okay, do listen. And you, you invited us just to pray at the end of your, your talk. Um, each one in our own ways. And I, be, I love to personalize things. I will personalize the songs we sing. I will personalize corporate prayers. And so I, I started to personalize the Lord's Prayer, teach us to pray, our Father. So I started to say, my Father who loves me. So I said, you know, personalize it. And God said, no, it doesn't say that. It says, our Father. And I began to understand. And I said, well, why can't I pray? Well, you can pray, my Father. But the f- our expresses something much more than an individual, a personal thing. Prayer is relational at all levels. It's praying to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It's relational, just as they're one, we are one as well. But it's our Father. It's relational at this level as well. That what happens in the family impacts us. If our family is hurting, it should hurt us. If our family is rejoicing, we should rejoice with them. It's, we are born again. Fellas, we're becoming the bride of Christ. You realize that? If you struggle with male and female stuff, okay, the women are fine in this one, aren't you, sisters? You're okay. You're looking forward to being the bride of Jesus because he's a great bridegroom. He's coming back for us. Fellas, we are being prepared to be married to him as one family. Yeah, God, God is a bit mysterious. There's stuff we don't understand. But we are being prepared together as a family. So the family matters. Yeah, and and the, the enemy, the devil, is always seeking to split us off from his family, from our family. Oh dear, they said to this, they hurt me, and I've gone. You know, I've gone to another church, or I've stopped going to church totally because of the hurt that's happening in the body of Christ. That is the work of our enemy, splitting us off from the body, from the family of which we are part. Our Father. But there's another connection which we understand our family. And that is from here outwards. What is going on in the world? You know, I can be a bit of a moaner. Okay, my wife will know about this, that I can be a bit of a moaner. And I have a moan about the breakdown of government in this country. I have a moan about politicians. Some of the laws that are being passed, I have a moan. And, you know, we need to stop and think, that's our worldly family out there. We've got to stop being moaners and start being prayers about what we're seeing happening. 
Not just moaners about the government, no political leaders, etc., uh, etc. Et the breakdown of family life. Yeah, we need to understand what's going on, but stop being moaners and begin to be prayers for this world around us. So it's our family that we pray together. Their prayer was entirely God-centered. There was no hint of self-centeredness within this prayer. No element of self-pity or self-seeking. Oh dear, they've told us to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. We could get arrested, we could get beaten up, we could, we could get if we do this. There was no hint of that, was there, in, in this prayer. They declared the total sovereignty of God over the situation, over their lives, over the world. And that's a real biggie for us. And it understanding that we have a sovereign God who is not evacuated, I can't think of the word, evacuated the throne, abdicated, that was the word. Okay, Ab- wives are very useful, you know. This is why we travel together. Okay, it will be the other way around at times as well. God has not abdicated his throne, no matter what we perceive and we see what's happening in the world around us. God is still on the throne. And what was happening in the situation here, God was overseeing it and was only allowing that which would advance his kingdom and that he would bring good out of. Okay, God is sovereign. We don't, we have to get beyond our understanding. Okay, it's called faith. Faith that says, God, I don't understand what is happening in my life. I don't understand what's happening in the community I'm part of. Why this? Why the other? God, I'm going to be beyond that and I'm going to believe that you're seated on the throne. And I'm going to come from that perspective about what I see happening in me, around me, and around in the community of which I'm a part. You're on the throne. Their prayer was founded on the liberating truth of the word of God. In verses 25 through 26, it talks about that. In fact, it quotes, it quotes a psalm, Psalms 2, 1 and 2. David, your servant, said, Why did the gentles rage and the people devise futile things, etc.? It was, they actually prayed the word of God. They prayed the word of God. Amos 3.7 says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. God is totally committed to his word. And that is the truth that our prayers are founded on. Yes, we express our emotional things. We express where we're at with God, where, where we are. We're honest, we're open with him. But we have a truth that will impact us and we declare the word of God in our prayers. He does what he says he will do. Hallelujah. Nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. Absolutely nothing. He does what he says he will do. He is faithful and just. Amen. They made two requests Okay, take note of the threats, Lord. Not, oh, get us out of here. Take note of the threats, Lord. Okay, and give your servants boldness to speak your word. 
whatever the situation that you are in, what are you going for in God? What are you asking God for? What are you believing for? What are you claiming? You have not because you ask not. Okay? God is looking for us to ask him for stuff in his name and he will do it. They prayed with total confidence in God that he would work with them. Okay? My job is to speak the word of God boldly. Your job, God, is to do the healing. Okay? You cannot heal anyone, but you can be the channel of that healing in the name of Jesus. You can be the channel of that healing. But God is the one who does the miracles. He does the healing. Praise him. Hallelujah. Okay? As I said, I'm going through them pretty briefly. And lastly, God answered. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. God answers my prayer. God answers your prayer. If we could just get hold of that simple truth, it would totally transform our prayer lives. That he answers prayer. Yes? It would transform your prayer life. When every time you pray, God is going to answer. Might not be the answer you like. Okay? Or what you're thinking would be good for him to do. But God answers prayer. Believe it. What a great time. Holy Spirit was released. The building shook. They began to speak the word of God with boldness. And more and more people got saved. Hallelujah. Wow. Do we want that? Okay, can God answer our prayers in the same way? And can we have the same impact? Yes, we can. I was thinking a couple of months back, occasionally I think. Yeah, I'm not just you. You know, I do think occasionally. My wife would sometimes disagree. What on earth are you thinking about? Okay. But I was thinking about momentous things that have happened in my lifetime. Okay. Now, in case you're wondering, I was born in 1950. So that's a, probably a good bit before a number of you. Okay. And I was thinking about what momentous things on the world stage have happened in my lifetime. I could have thought about, you know, I, I know exactly where I was when I heard that J.F. Kennedy was shot, okay, was assassinated. I remember exactly where I was. I was in shorts, in a Boy Scout uniform, in a church, in a, in a Friday night parade, okay, and, and it was announced he'd been shot. It wasn't that I thought about. I could think about, okay, um, um, you know, IT improvements. When I was at college, we had to punch cards, which were then loaded into a computer to get it to function properly, Okay, hole punching. And nowadays, you know, I've got it on my mobile phone. I can access the internet. I can access all sorts of things. It's beyond me, by the way, and I only do the basic stuff pretty badly. But momentous. But the one thing that really got hold of me was the wall, the Berlin Wall, coming down overnight. And I remember because I was absolutely astounded that that wall could come down in the night. I don't know if you, you know, I'll just fill you in a bit in the background. I've got a few nodding people. You're an age, oh, sorry, that, that remembers this event, okay? But after the Second World War, the Russians or USSR and the Warsaw Pact people and NATO, the, the Western people, were a bit at 
odds with one another, just slightly. Oh, you know, it was called the Cold War. Does anybody remember that expression, the Cold War? And they had they built a barrier from the northern end of Finland right the way down through Europe, down onto the Black Sea, above the Bosphorus Straits. They built a barrier. Now, they said it was to keep the fascism out, in other words, the West out, but actually it was to keep their own people in. And the, the place um, that perhaps was most iconic was the Berlin Wall. Okay. Just mention it, I actually went, Jane and I, we, we took a caravan and travelled into the then Czechoslovakia in 1989-90, and we went through the Iron Curtain. We were visiting pen friends from, from Czech, and um, I tell you, it was an experience. I mean, the, the woods were stripped, there was no cover, it was repeated barbed wire barriers, there were machine gun posts, there were border uh, patrolmen with dogs patrolling. I mean, it was a grim place. We went through with not a lot of trouble. They didn't search the caravan on the way in, but coming out they did because they were suspicious that we were going to be transporting people out. Okay, They were keeping their own people in. The Berlin Wall, it was built in 1961 between the, the western parts of the city and the Russian-controlled parts of the city. Before that Berlin Wall was built, some three and a half million East Germans had crossed to freedom in the west. Following that building of that wall, because they used Berlin as their way out, but following that, only 5,000 got out over the next decades and uh, many were arrested, tried. It wasn't that they didn't try, they were trying. And hundreds died in the attempt, shot by the border patrol guards or blown up on the mines. Then, in one amazing night on the 9th of November, 1989, ordinary people began to literally tear down the wall. East German guards, who until recently would have shot them, stood and watched and took pictures, and actually even some of them helped to pull that wall down. The floodgates had opened. In country after country, the Iron Curtain came down with the West and East Germany reuniting, and the Cold War finally officially ending in 1992. Wow, what a momentous night it was, that November the 9th. I remember it well. Recently... Jane came across an article, and I've looked at it as well. It was uh, an article that the BBC Northern Ireland people uh, wrote. Did a prayer meeting really bring down the Berlin Wall and end the Cold War? It was a guy called Peter Crutchley, and he he did it 9th of October uh, 2015. The following are some extracts from that and other articles. The date, November the 1989, is etched in history as the day the Berlin Wall came down. But was it actually a prayer meeting held exactly one month earlier that made the fall of the world, the wall, inevitable? Ignoring death threats and huge banks of armed police, thousands gathered at St. Nicholas Church in the East German city of Leipzig on 9th of October to pray for peace. The congregation then joined an estimated crowd of 70,000 on a protest march against the country's communist regime. 
That protest was reported on BBC News on 10th of October 1989. It was the largest impromptu demonstration ever witnessed in East Germany. But was this some sort of spontaneous flash mob? But it was the culmination of years of weekly prayer meetings organized by the pastor of that church, Christian Fuhrer. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I get a bit mixed up with Hitler. Fuhrer. Okay, and I'm not very good at German either. Apologies if there's any German speakers here or German people. Okay, he was the pastor of St. Nicholas. Beginning in 1982, he began organizing prayers for peace every Monday evening. On many occasions, fewer than a dozen people attended the prayer meetings. We haven't got quite got to a few dozen downstairs yet, have we, on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday morning? Okay, but... The East German government strongly discouraged people attending such meetings and becoming involved in religious activities. But those meetings continued each Monday without fail. And then in 1985, he put a sign up outside his church for that prayer meeting, open for all. And young people, Christians and atheists all actually started coming in. And the attendance soared as word of the peace prayers spread. Began to build. Ernest, in during 1989, the police began to block the driveways to the church, the roads around. They conducted large-scale checks to identify people who were attending. Uh, Monday after Monday, there were arrests and detentions, but the number of people flocking to the church continued to grow until 2,000 seats were no longer enough The government sent members of the Stasi, that's the secret police who were really feared, into the meetings. And um, this pastor was interviewed in 2009 by BBC World Service. And he said, on May 8th of May 1989, the authorities barricaded the streets leading to the church, hoping to put people off. But it had the opposite effect and our congregation grew. There were beatings and arrests of demonstrators at protest rallies in Leipzig. Berlin and Dresden, he said. By this time, the prayer meetings had also led to a series of peaceful demonstration protests in Leipzig and other cities, which became known as the Monday demonstrations. For years, the prayer meeting had largely been ignored by the German authorities, East German authorities, but not now. The pastor and his followers were threatened and pressure was put on them to stop the meetings, but they remained resolute. Give us boldness, God. Things came to a head on the 7th of October, 1989, the 40th anniversary of the German Democratic, what a name, Democratic Republic, East Germany. And there were hundreds of arrests made among the crowds, said the pastor in front of Nikolai Church. The Eric... Honecker, who was the communist leader at that time, had declared that the church should be closed. The police used brute force against the demonstrators and lots of people were beaten. Even an article appeared in the local newspaper and said that on Monday the 9th of October that the counter-revolution was going to be put down whatever means necessary. They feared a bloodbath in the church. The church was even visited by doctors who told us that hospital rooms had been made available for patients with bullet wounds. So we were absolutely terrified of what might happen, said the pastor. 
On the 9th of October 1989, as Leipzigers returned home from work, they saw the city filled with soldiers and police, increasing the sense of foreboding. The overriding feeling of that day was fear. Up to 8,000 people crowded into St. Nicholas Church on that Monday evening, including members of the feared Stasi, and they sent in 1,000 people to disrupt the meeting, state supporters, to disrupt that meeting. Wow, wouldn't it be great if the devil got so worried about our prayer meetings, he sent people into disruptors. Wow, he'd be really concerned, wouldn't he? But a spirit of peace suddenly reigned throughout and spread from the church, from the hundreds who gathered in the churches to the thousands who flocked together in the city squares and streets. Other Leipzig churches had also opened because for the overflow. After an hour-long service at St. Nicholas, Pastor Fuhrer led worshippers outside. The nearby auto-whatever-platz square, you can put the next one up, Chris, was filled with demonstrators clutching lit candles. Slowly the crowd began walking around the city past the Stasi headquarters chanting, We are the people and no violence. And accompanied by thousands of helmeted riot police ready to intervene. But at the decisive moment, the police stood aside and let them march. They didn't attack, said the pastor. They had nothing to attack, for East German officials would later say they were ready for anything except for candles and prayers. Wow. Uh, late Brian Hanran, he was the political uh, reporter for BBC News. He'd been secretly filming these demonstrations. He said, it took great personal courage to confront a government notorious for its ruthlessness. Protesters risked bloodshed by taking to the streets. There was a sense of foreboding that this was likely to end with a great deal of bloodshed. I found out how, just how close that came to happening. A massacre was just moments away. This demonstration would prove to be a seismic moment. The fact they'd been met with no violence meant the protest moment began, movement began to lose its fear. The dam adversed. And the footage was widely broadcast throughout the world. And it inspired many others to take up. About 120,000 people took to the streets the following Monday. Eric Honecker resigned two days later. The distance became increasingly emboldened with around 300,000 taking part in protests on 23rd of October. Exactly a month after the events of that prayer meeting, 9th of October, the Berlin Wall came down amid scenes of jubilation witnessed around the world. Pastor Führer was adamant the Berlin Wall would not have collapsed without the events in Leipzig and that prayer meeting. Wow. I've taken some time to go through that because our prayer times are powerful. Okay, Don't underestimate the power that we have as together we begin to pray praying to the Father, praying for one another, and praying for the world around us. Jesus says, whatsoever you pray in my name, I will do it. Hallelujah. I never knew that backstory behind the Iron Curtain coming down. I never knew what had happened. 
a prayer meeting faithfully, just a few dozen people attending until the floodgates opened. Hallelujah. Look at the impact. There is power in prayer. Yes, pray like the early church, but let's be praying here and now, not looking back, but allowing God to do a new thing. So the next time you're invited to a prayer meeting or you think you should go, okay, go and begin to pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.